1: to the Chels. So, here we go again. Chelsea spin the managerial merry-go-round to see who falls off and who climbs on. My head's spinning with all of this this week, but to help me make sense of it all, it's the man who has no time for nonsense, it's Mr Andrew Saunders. How are
0: you, mate? You're a bit poorly, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I got a bit of a fever the last couple of days, and uh, yeah, not, not been great, so... I've done what I think is the right thing, which is sent off for a coronavirus test and um, see what that's like. Um, Got got to be safe and uh, what have you in these days, don't we?
0: Yeah, you're a brave little soldier, getting yourself out of bed to do this for the listeners.
1: (laughs) To to talk about the chaos that is our club.
0: Yeah. Yes,
1: indeed. but um, Yeah. You've had a coronavirus test, haven't you?
0: I have. I was negative. I'm unique. You can't you can't give me coronavirus. No, I felt a bit rough, and you know, I just think you, just, you ought to have one, you know, just just in case you give it to anybody else. Really, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel that bad, but I thought I might, and so yeah, it's quite easy to get a test, isn't it? So just get one, send it back, get the results, and uh, deal with it from there on in. So yeah. but, I mean, it feels like we're getting towards some light at the end of the tunnel now with the vaccinations and everything. I mean, you're really, really old and very vulnerable. Have you been offered a vaccination yet?
1: No, I'm a youngster. I'm a whippersnapper. How old are you? Oh, don't. I start getting free prescriptions next month. Do you? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I knew you when you were young. That's so freaky.
1: Yeah. <laughs> young, wild, and carefree yeah Mm, yes well you're not exactly that much younger than me
0: i know i found out i was going to be a grandfather as well so that's that's uh that's how
1: old i am yeah congratulations on that no absolutely it's uh, you know life moves on and uh, i don't mean to sound like the stupid old blokes but it does go quicker when you get older does man
0: (laughs) it does and uh and uh, yeah i had a terrible morning as well did you why what's happened somebody drove into my car Kerry. Oh no! I know Where, it was in the on the icy road. were you roads. driving? No, no, no! It was parked outside my house, and I came out. Well, in fact, my neighbour WhatsApped me and went, "Oh, don't want to ruin your morning, but you might want to go and have a look at your car." And I went out, and somebody sideswiped it on the kind of icy road, and, and didn't leave a note. So now it's just a day of painful admin to go and get it all sorted out with the insurance and everything, but there you go oh
1: god have you got any cctv cameras or footage you can look at
0: no but i do have one of those video doorbells you know Ooh, the did ring that the have ring. anything well it did it had a bloke walking around the car looking at it and checking it out and i very excitedly showed this to my wife and she paused and went you know that's you, don't you? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yes, I mean, it's... <laughs> so <laughs> so the that was a bit Look
1: at this guy, he's dodgy,
0: there's he's just, something not look, right. Not, not only is he kind of, like, looked around the car, he's just walked off. Shifty. Like, yeah. She's like That's Shifty. you, that, that's you. <laughs> I'm like okay um, <laughs> oh, That's so, brilliant You know yeah, you're no, 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 no you get getting old When can't recognise footage. yourself But you've got to go And you've got to report it To the police On the website And then you've got to go To your insurer And your insurer asks you loads of stupid questions Then of course You've got to get it To the repairers And deal with not having a car And It's like, I don't... If you hit my car, it's like, fine. You know, it's icy roads. You know, we all all might do that. That might happen to all of us. I mean, that stuff happens. But at least say you've done it. At least leave a note or knock on the door. Don't just drive off. It's such a dick move.
1: Oh, it's so miserable. But I bet you won't park on that corner anymore.
0: It's outside my house. I've got nowhere else to park. It's like, I I haven't parked deliberately on a corner. It's not actually on the corner. It's like, as you come round the corner... You know, the guy, obviously, or the girl, or the person, you know, was going probably too fast. Because there's there's kind of, because it's snowy, there's actually tyre tracks to see, you know, that they'd slightly oh. lost control. Which is, you know, which is slightly more irritating, as you can actually see the whole picture. So, anyway, that's not, this is not tire, why we're doing it. Tyre
1: tracks that end at your door. Pretty much,
0: well, yeah. not, well, not why not, not why the listeners have tuned in to hear our finally honed
1: opinions. Well, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's sort of <laughs> from car crash to another car crash Whee! that's Chelsea, hey, nice. hey. That's why you hey. get
0: paid the big bucks, Kerry.
1: Absolutely. I've For got segues quite pleased like with that. that one. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's two ways of doing this podcast today. We could just talk about what happened, or we could go piecemeal through it and start with Leicester. And I guess we should start there, because... I, I don't know, s- Kerry. I, I, hey? I,
0: think, I think we've got to be honest, haven't we? There's a massive elephant in the room. <laughs> you know,
1: there's but a huge Lester elephant does, in the room. There there is this huge you elephant. And oh, we actually, could talk about
0: Leicester, but there'd be this big elephant kind of like, you know, standing there distracting us.
1: <laughs> well my point was gonna be that well, with Leicester we could go back and look at that because actually, by the sounds of it, that was the game that did it. The golfing class, the golfing <sighs> performance. And actually, in a way, I'd be quite happy not to analyse it because it's gone now. And I mean, okay, so let's just get straight on with it. I think Leicester was a pivotal point because we'll talk about this in a bit. I do think it showed the lack of evolution that was in keeping with what the club wants right now. Mm. You and I have talked about this quite regularly that, you know, we've got to give him time. I actually thought he might get this next four or five games, as we discussed. But maybe Leicester was just too much to yeah. keep, Frank.
0: Well, let, 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 let's start at the very beginning. I mean, unless you've been on uh, a mission to Mars or in a coma or, you know, stuck on a desert island, um, you know that Frank Lampard's been sacked. So we've got to start with this as, as, as the elephant in the room. And what you're referring to is, is the game two games ago, uh, you know, against Leicester, where, as you say, I think probably... Matters to a head, but, but but I think that's key as well. Bringing matters to a head. It wasn't just that one game. I think one game, that one game, was probably probably one of the straws that broke the proverbial camel's back. And the problem with that game, I think, was what it really highlighted is not the fact that we lost two uh, nil and, and and were outplayed, but the utter predictability of Frank Lampard's team formation where all Brendan Rodgers did was was almost lazily put five men in midfield and completely overwhelmed us and we had no answer and there was no plan b and there was no reaction from Frank Lampard and I think at that point I lost a little faith in him I wasn't I have to preface everything we say with I didn't want him sacked at this point I would have given him until the end of the season I think it's Premature to have fired him at, at this point But if we're talking about reasons why they made the decision I think it's perfectly valid to look at the Leicester game and say That might have been a pivotal, pivotal moment
1: Yeah, I, I think it encapsulated Probably what the board And a lot of people behind the scenes Were worried about with, with Frank and his teams is In the fact that There didn't seem to be a plan A, let alone a plan B. I mean, we saw in that game that he kind of is trying to convert to this four-two-three-one system, but it doesn't quite work because it did in the look- Leicester game. Yeah, I don't think he, he did. He did try and do that, and he it, but there was <laughs> well, space all over the midfield.
0: Uh, did he do that, Kerry? Where did you read that? Because I, no. I mean, I'm not, it's not, I, I looked at it with my eyes. It looked like pretty much four-three-three to me.
1: No, I, I really don't think so. I think but it was 4-2-3-1, yeah. and I think that was his problem. But who, what are your
0: sources on that? Who, who, who's well, just,
1: just what I watched. That's what I what thought watched, So you're saying like.
0: this is what you watched?
1: Yeah, I okay. think it was 4-2-3-1. That's <sighs> what I thought. And and that's the idea is that it's fluid in that midfield, but... Because just if it was 4-2-3-1,
0: there wouldn't have been that much space in midfield for Leicester to operate in.
1: Well, there would, because... Nobody seemed to know what their jobs should be. You had um, well, the fact that
0: we're even arguing about this formation, yeah, kinda kind of says say, everything.
1: That's my point. Is that's what he's trying to play, but it was a mess. And the front players were not coming back. Were not tracking back. Were not helping. Um, and everyone looked completely clueless. Yeah,
0: and, and I mean, look, I'm looking at the BBC website, right? And I don't know if this is what you looked at, and it, and, it, and it basically just says four-two-three-one. But that's not what I watched, I don't think. That's not what I watched. I mean, I, you know, what, what they're saying is that Havertz played basically as a 10. And I don't think he did. And I think that, you know, that, that it was, for me, for four three three, and And, you know, with Abraham perhaps playing a little bit further forward than Hudson-Odoi and Pulisic. But there's no way Havertz was playing that far up with Mount and Kovacic sitting. That wasn't the formation for me.
1: Mm, well, anyway, the, the point is, whatever the f- formation was it didn't work um and this is the thing it's, it's always interesting to w- what to listen to and what not to listen to when a manager goes um and you are hearing i guess it's almost like i don't know whether it's agent talk or whatever but players unhappy with getting no instruction about how to play just being told to express themselves i don't know um There does seem to be some kind of lack of communication somewhere in the fact that we'd also had Frank calling out players over the last month or two. um, Calling out journalists. Yeah, calling out everybody. Um, That's never
0: a good sign when a manager is that rattled. That they they have to, you know, after the Leicester game, there was that whole, um, you know, perhaps if the players sprinted a bit more and 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 got stuck in a little bit more, it, for me that's desperate, desperate to kind of put that on the players. I, I just didn't I didn't like that. And then obviously, you know, uh, having a go at our friend Liam Toomey uh, Liam Toomey uh, in the press conference for something that he wrote that that that's not a confident manager that does that kind of stuff. So I think there were real cracks starting to show.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't mind him calling out a journalist if it's based on his knowledge of fact. Um, if he doesn't agree, I, I do think that a lot of the press has been pretty heavy on Frank in the last few weeks. As it turns out, they were right. Um, so that changes the dialogue and the thinking. And managers of things.
0: are there to be criticised, and the press are there to, to, you know, to give opinion and to and, and to report and to, you know, to, to, to you know to to, 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 to add some colour to the to the reporting. And if you're sitting there reading media reports of what you're doing, it makes you wonder what you know. Why? Why aren't you concentrating on other things? Why are you bothering yourself with this? That's so, that's my point about it. And, okay, unless somebody so. is slandering you, unless somebody is actually being, you know, is defaming you, then I don't I don't understand why why is even getting involved in that.
1: It seemed to be for me also what he came out with and what he said seemed to have been pre-planned. It didn't seem as though it was off the cuff. It was something he wanted to say. It was obviously. Yeah, you know, it was obviously think, upsetting him. Yeah. So, do you think he would have cleared something like that with the PR guy from Chelsea? Or I doubt if it. not, what do you think? If you were the PR person in that situation, what would you have said afterwards?
0: i would say just just keep keep your focus this is this is a distraction there's no need for this you know there's no need to get to get involved in this and and open debates about what somebody may or may not have said just just focus on the team and focus on on getting across your key messages about the team don't worry about you know what other people say about you it's not. It's not relevant, and um, you know that. That's what I would have said. I would say that to anybody in that situation. I don't know a football manager. It's like you know, don't dignify something you disagree with with a response. You know, unless it's actually defaming you or is an untruth and it needs fact checking and it needs correcting. Don't bother with it. You know the fact that somebody has an opinion about about your tactics and your formations uh, and the way you do it and and, and what and what might be happening, um, you know, as long as that's fact-based, which, as far as I can see from that article, it was. I, I don't see why he's even getting involved in it. It just it just shows a rattled, insecure manager, I think.
1: Do you not think also, now that the stories are starting to come out, again, one has to be careful what you hear, but apparently he had an idea what was going on after the Leicester game and had even said, supposedly, a few goodbyes to some of the players. Yeah. Do we not think that actually then maybe that reaction in the press conference, he kind of knew it was over, so he thought, you know what, I'm going to say this because it really doesn't affect me. Yeah,
0: maybe maybe, again I think we're getting sidetracked on here this yeah. for me is not, is, not, is not a major issue it's just, it was an indicator, it was a red flag you know, I know that Liam is a really, really good journalist. He doesn't write things unless he's pretty sure that they're factually correct. And, you know, and he's somebody who has opinions. So I just thought it was a, a bit silly Frank to do that. But, it, but my point about, rather than going into the whys and the wherefores and trying to dissect a press conference, it's just these red flags that came out of the Leicester game. I thought we were played off the pitch. I thought he was tactically outsmarted by Brendan Rodgers. I didn't think that he reacted anyway. I don't agree with your assessment of the formation. Um, and I don't think that the players reacted to... What he wanted them to do Whether that's because They just lost faith in the system Or faith in the formation Or faith in him I don't know But it was a pretty poor performance And um, you know One that I think was Was uh, indicative of, of Of the last couple of months And you know At that point I just thought he looked lost. I thought he looked lost and bewildered. And, you know, let me say again, I'm a huge, huge admirer of Frank Lampard as a player, as a person, um, you know, and, and certainly I think there's a very good manager in there. But, you know, as I said on social media, I met Frank in October 2018 and we had a chat and, and you know, I, I wasn't a very long and very in-depth chat, but I did say to him, um, you know, any chance of you coming to Chelsea? And he went, I'd love to, but it's a bit early. And I just think it was a bit early, bit early for Frank. I think that that's the problem. I, you know, I think the fact that Roman Abramovich came out and, and actually gave a quote, which he hasn't done uh, before, you know, as such an effusive quote about Frank Lampard, says a lot. And I think, to a certain degree, leaves the door open for him to come back at some point. And I hope he does. Because he's a huge icon at our club and uh, somebody that is going to be always revered as a legend at the club. And, you know, there's part of me that also thinks that leaving now when things aren't too bad actually protects his legacy than if he stayed longer and we went on a terrible terrible run ended up in a you know very poor position out of all of the competitions I think that might have slightly damaged his legacy so in some ways it might it might be a good thing
1: okay two things that come out of what you've just said there uh for me one do you think he only had a short conversation with you because of the shirt you were wearing
0: possibly possibly yes <laughs> i did it's say i, I did say Vice. that i did apologize for my shirt
1: <laughs> it's great i loved it it's a good photo actually <laughs> and two i was gonna get on to roman abramovich now this is an extraordinary moment for chelsea and roman abramovich to act we've never heard him speak about anything And the one thing he does is we know that when a manager goes, it's ruthless. As I think it has been in here, because as we'll go on to talk, perhaps all the decisions have been made, and yet they kept him on for the Luton game because they knew they couldn't get all the pieces into play in time. Mm. So for Roman to to come out and make a statement about Frank, I mean, I couldn't believe it And I was reading it, when it said Roman Abramovich had this to say, you think oh my god this is this is somebody who is saying this is purely a professional decision from me frank and his position at the club is not altered for me or for anyone here it was actually something that we've never seen or Mm. heard about roman in the fact that it was magnanimous
0: yeah let's be very clear about this roman Abramovich didn't write that that would have been written by a pr person you know who said i think it's probably a good idea If because this guy's such a big legend, and because this is going to be such a controversial sacking, it might be worth you saying something. And I'm going to draft something for your approval. That's what would have happened. I don't. I can't in a million years imagine that you know Roman Abramovich sat down and penned that. I think I think somebody penned it for him and he approved it. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's that's usually the process in these things. Just to give you a little peek behind the PR curtain.
1: Yep. Okay. So, but he would have to agree with it to allow it to go in.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure he had input in it. I'm not saying he just let someone do that. I'm sure he had input in it, but you know, these, the these words are carefully chosen words, you know, to mitigate and minimize the impact of the sacking of a club icon.
1: Okay. So, but we've never been in a situation where any quote from him, well, I think it just, I
0: think it just shows the gravity of the situation. Yeah. I think it, I think he knows that it's a hugely amongst certain sections of the fans most sections of the fan, a, a hugely unpopular, um, a, unpopular decision. You know, I, I, I mean, I've said this to social media. I think you've got to be very careful when you are making these kind of sweeping statements that you don't talk on behalf of the fans. You know, because we are a very broad church as a fan base with a lot of different opinions, and it would be very arrogant to presume that you can talk on behalf of other fans. So this is a personal a personal opinion, you know, that I think that that you know, I taking the temperature of what I've seen only on social media, which isn't perhaps the most accurate reading of uh, of the fan base, that there is a lot of disappointment about this particular decision and a lot of grief and anguish about it but the key thing for me is how we react to it how we react to it as a fan base how we support the new manager how we move forward and how much we reflect and realize that now under this hierarchy of roman abramovich and his team this type of decision making is in our dna that we are a ruthless and brutal club when it comes to our managers and it just is what it is and whether it's Carlo Ancelotti or Jose Mourinho twice or Sarri or any of the other many many managers on which the axe has fallen this is this is what we do as a club and and there's no point wailing and gnashing our teeth and you know threatening to burn the stadium down or or chop up our season tickets or not be a Chelsea fan anymore it is we just have to deal with it and I, I think our after, you know, and again, it's a phrase I used on social media. I think after this initial spasm of anguish that we're all going to go through, that, you know, this bloke that we have invested so much emotion and love and faith in over the years is now no, no longer going to be with us. I think we have to sort of regroup, dust ourselves off and, and move on. We've still got half a season to play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, was it always going to end like this? I guess it always ends like this for any manager at Chelsea. But yeah,
0: you'd be kind of deluded to think it wouldn't
1: yeah and and you you know that when you go into that club um you would you would suggest that you know your time is short maybe 3 years maximum mm. on the whole um and but you get time to do something in that period uh, what will Frank be remembered for, do you think, as a manager?
0: Well, we, I think I think that's a very easy question to answer. I think his legacy is going to be the bringing through of academy players, which all the managers in the Roman Abramovich era have failed to do. And he's done it. You know, he's brought through Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, Billy Gilmore, Reese James um, and others uh, to become... hudson Hudson-Odoi to become first-team fixtures. And that, I think, is very, very much to his credit as as a as a manager and as a man, as a, somebody that understands how important that is, uh, not only to the team, but to the fan base, you know, who who all, all of us. And I think I can speak on behalf of a lot of the fan base here who did want to see our Academy products coming through into the first team. Um and in Mason Mount, which is, you know, ironic, isn't it? And and perhaps You know almost romantic that in his last game as manager he makes mason mount the captain And you know, I think that's a that's a fantastic note in some ways to sign off on Um, But that's his legacy Uh, Youth promotion and and one can only hope that the new manager uh, Will come in and and pick that mantle up and 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 move forward with it and won't undo that good work
1: Yeah, I'd agree with you. I mean, I think You know needs must at times and last year we were short and bereft of uh having a real cohesive squad for him to work with and what he did was amazing um sadly i think once money came in and players were bought who knows how many were actually at his instigation it changed an awful lot about this season there was no pressure i i kind of feel really sorry for frank as well because he's just pres- presided over a great period of time which I guess, are probably two of the most difficult seasons in Chelsea's history, i.e. one without any transfer capabilities last year. Mm. And this year with, with coronavirus, yeah, I know everyone else has had to deal with it. But, you know, this is, if you remember the first few games that we saw with Frank at the bridge last year, it seems like an awful long time ago. Yeah. Um, and then he's presided over empty stadiums, this legend of Chelsea. And it almost felt as though... He was always going to end up being transitioned out of out of the, the club unless he did something major and won something major. Yeah. I, I, really, I, I think I think that's
0: that, sorry to interrupt. I think that's a really, really good point about about the transfer period. He was brilliant for that period. I don't think we could have had a better manager in place to, to manage us through a period where we couldn't buy any players and that of course provided the trigger and the platform to bring those youth players through Um, and and he was the perfect man for that and I think that that and uh, steering us to fourth place albeit on the back of the implosion of a lot of teams around us I think we've got to be real. we've got to look at that cold in a cold hard way and say that you know that fourth place was gained because of the the you know the implosion of a lot of teams around us um you know did he overachieve last season I think he probably did I think I think I think that's that's fair to say the question is not is not that all of that is good the question was what was his plan? What was his vision? What was he building? I mean, a lot of the comments that I've seen are, but he never got a chance to build, and wouldn't it be nice to have let him build something? But my question would always be, build what? What was he building? The team didn't have an identity, didn't have a personality, it didn't have any sense that this was a long-term vision that we were working towards. It felt fractured and disjointed, and you know and and not and not cohesive and i think that in some ways if we're looking at the really big picture we need to look at that and say yeah we've backed you to build something but we don't we've not seen any architect's plans for it we don't know what the vision is frank and i think that's the bad thing and that's when i said he looked a bit lost i think he did and i think he's thinking well what do i do i can't make it work and you wonder whether more experienced more mature manager would come in with a slightly more a slightly more advanced blueprint for what they wanted to do.
1: Yeah, I I think there are are certain messages in that which are really good as well, what you've just said. One of the things I think, he kept chopping and changing the side a lot this season. Now, okay, he had a lot of injuries, but he kept chopping and changing. And there was a a key moment for me when, um, for most, once he decided on his back four, when they were fit, you knew that back four for a period of time. Then we started having a dip and he brought Rudiger in instead of Zuma Mm. and he was asked why that was and he said Well, sometimes things aren't going right and you don't quite know why But you just have to make a change because you have to make a change Mm -hmm. And I thought that was you know now I think that was a really salient moment for me. Mm. He couldn't actually understand Why or where the problem was? So he just decided to change it and I think from my limited knowledge of football, that shows a certain naivety and a lack of um, foresight, which a manager needs. A manager needs to be looking at it and deciding, I know why this isn't working, not just guess at it. And I think that's the problem for Frank. He doesn't have the experience as a manager to work out exactly how his players work, think and, and get things done.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, a, a mutual friend of ours—I won't—I won't name them—but you know, he said to me yesterday that there's a moment that he saw, which was when he switched from Tammy Abraham to Olivier Giroud because Olivier Giroud scored four against Sevilla, and in his opinion, that showed a weakness, not a strength. And I think that's true. I think it's almost like chasing form, chasing—you you know ch- you know—it's—it's. It, it's, chasing something rather than believing in something and actually the the strong thing would have been is to say yeah i know you scored four accounts severe but you know tammy abraham's the guy for me in in this league thing but i I, kind of see what i see what he means it's like there was never any real courage in his convictions um you know i don't want this to be a kind of blame frank session because there's so many good things that he did and you know i think i've laid my cards on the table i am a massive admirer of the man and i would have given him until the end of the season but i'm trying to unpick and do a little bit of a post-mortem on some of these things and and reflect on some of these things to see what the the cumulative the cumulative reasons for his departure were
1: Uh, well look it's easier to analyze in this kind of way than when you're living through it every week because we aren't the kind of people who just want to be negative all the time it's very easy when things don't go right to pick and pick and pick but the other side of it is that both you and i have always felt that he's learning on the job that's kind of why he was brought in perhaps and the idea was he would develop along with the team
0: with hindsight would you have given him the job i mean like at the time were you like this is brilliant this is absolutely the right decision to make or did you have doubts when he was appointed
1: I don't I certainly don't remember the doubts because we were you know, I remember I remember doing an interview just before the Man U game with uh, a radio station in Manchester uh, Last season right at the beginning, you know when we got hammered Mm 4-0 Just before that game and they asked me. Oh, what do you expect? It's obviously a foolish Appointment and that was quite interesting to hear other people from outside Immediately thinking it was a ridiculous appointment said, well what do you expect from this season, or or what would you be happy with? And I said, you know what, if we don't get relegated, I'll be happy. Mm. And I had real simple expectations. Yeah, I know, I remember
0: you saying that, and, you know, you've been quite consistent with that, and I was never that. You know, I was never that you know sort of carefree about it. I, I felt that there needed to be expectations. We're Chelsea Football Club. We're not we're not some you know team in progress. We're an elite. We're an elite football club. You know, we need to be in the top four and we need to be challenging for honours. Um, but I know that you were. Well, if we don't get relegated, then then I'll be happy. Um, I mean, there's something in that kind of let the guy develop. My, 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 I was absolutely prepared to let Frank Lampard develop and develop the youth if I felt that he had some idea of where he was going and wasn't just stumbling from one game to the next Is which is unfortunately what it felt like I can't honestly say that I've enjoyed any if many of the matches in recent times because I just haven't felt like we've been playing like a team at the level that we should
1: No, I I would agree with that. Well, look, we'll come back in a sec because there's a couple of things that have come out of that that we should chat about, uh, which in relation to the Luton game as well. All right, so here we go to the ad break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct... Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike, e-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. Andy, a um, couple of things. Um, the Luton game. This was... So, I don't know. I found the cup games frustrating through this whole period um, this year because we've always needed to be concentrating on things in the league, and normally these cup games would be such that you would see the, the youngsters or the second string come out. And Luton again it was a it was a, um, a pretty strong side that got sent out. But there were there were two things that really for me says a lot about Frank's legacy that happened in the last few minutes of that game. One was, we saw one of the most beautiful and perfect team goals with crisp passing, great movement, great ability for Tammy's third goal. And then you had the moment when Timo Werner missed the penalty. And that kind of sums up the frustration of the whole Frank Lampard era to me, that actually when it was going at times some of the football was breathtaking but when it wasn't it went a little bit skew whiff
0: mm. yeah i know i agree with that i mean again i don't think we should judge Timo Werner on his penalty I thought he had a very good game but what I wanted to say about the Luton game in relation to the Leicester game is in this game he did change the formation in this game he did play 4-2-3-1 and it was very obvious that he had um, and and so that was ironic that in his last game as Chelsea manager he actually changed the formation and it worked and it looked a lot better and we looked a lot more solid in midfield I mean okay it's against Luton who are in a lower division and it was in the cup and there were players playing in that game that perhaps wouldn't have played in other games but as you say it was a very strong side but there were signs in that game that he was prepared to rethink his approach um, and and so you know in some ways the Luton game is, is a real it's a real mystery and a, and a quandary and will be an enigmatic game to look back on I think in in, in years to come when you, you look at the the, the, the the demise let's hope it's the first demise and at some point Frank Lampard does come back as a more of a fully rounded manager and and takes us on to glory but if we look back at you know the the last game he makes mason mount captain he he uh he fields a strong side but that side is in a different formation um we create as you say an incredible team goal um there are signs of life from from players that perhaps we haven't seen before billy gilmore has a good game it's interesting to see what's going to happen to him but you know but all these interesting things came out of that game Uh, and then we had the news yesterday Monday that you know that was the end of the road for him
1: and it, and there's something about it when it was announced it felt a typical Chelsea moment didn't it cold clinical and calculated in the fact that they obviously couldn't get the man in place didn't want to put an interim manager in for the weekend or whatever and they got Frank to manage the team because apparently he didn't get officially told until a phone call yesterday morning. Hmm. So, you know, it—it it is that way Chelsea are. They go, well, hold on. Let's just take care of this. We don't want to be in free fall for a, a game that we've got. So we need to do this. We keep well, them in there.
0: Can't see what else they could do, really.
1: No, nothing really. You, yeah, know, yeah. I mean,
0: you, can't, you can't just say to someone, hey, mate, we're going to sack you on Monday. But if you could just see us through the Luton game, we'd really appreciate it. I mean, that's never going to work. You know? So there has to be an element of, uh, of subterfuge involved in all, in all of these decisions. I can't really blame the club for that.
1: No, no, no. I'm just just saying it's it's interesting how these things are worked out because, you know, it's planned. Mm -hmm. It's planned. However, whatever you think about Chelsea, we invariably do have a plan. Sometimes we mess it up, but there is a plan.
0: Yeah, well, Um, there has to be. I think I think you're talking about such, you know, such complex decision making here and, and such big decision making that have. Domino effects on all sorts of uh, you know areas of the club. That there's no way this wasn't thought about weeks ago, that the the, the the chess pieces were put in place weeks ago. You know, way before the Leicester game. You know, to, to 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 have a contingency should a decision be made after you know after this game. And I think they probably just went enough is enough. You know, this is the time to do it. You know, we've got two games coming up and. You know, we we, we, we we just need to do this. We can't afford to lose, you know, Wolves and Burnley. We can't afford to, you know, so so let's try and change it now.
1: So, okay, so what now, it's not being confirmed as of this moment that we're doing the podcast. It does look as though Thomas Tuchel is coming. He's coming. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we're just waiting for the official pronouncement. Mm. Um What are we going to get from someone like him? Because he's another spiky character, you know, more back in the sort of Conte mould. He always starts off nicely with everyone, then usually falls out. I mean, big arguments at PSG with Leonardo. Mm -hmm. Is he actually not? what we actually he is actually what we need at this moment in time
0: well interestingly the talk is that he's only going to get an 18 month contract with an with an option to extend for another 12 and i would imagine that's our option rather than his option um so i i think there's a kind of you know suck it and see situation with him which is mate we, we like there's a lot of about you that we like but there's some things that we're concerned about so let's try and um you know let's try and uh, uh mitigate it for both of us uh, let's let's have a contract that works, and by all accounts, it's mutual. So there's that. Um, look, I think if you go back, and I don't know an awful lot about Thomas Tuchel. I, I, I really don't. I haven't watched a huge amount of German or French football, but you know, reading about him and and, and investing about him, what was interesting, I think, is when he came through the the Mainz Situation in, in Germany, he he used a lot of youth, and that that was his thing. That he was somebody who, who who mined the academy there, who who created a team that was competing with the top five in Germany, that got promoted, that you know that played extremely well. You know he's followed in Klopp's footsteps wherever Klopp's been. So he went to Dortmund, and you know and did well at Dortmund. Uh, he had a couple of successful seasons at uh, at PSG. You know won two league titles. You know won a cup. You know he's he's things um, and by all accounts his credentials as a coach have been lauded throughout Europe by the likes of Guardiola by the likes of Klopp by the likes of those that we look at you know and say well they're the real thinking you know thinking brains in the game so there's a lot to like about him football wise you just wonder about his man management skills because you know he has left a trail of destruction behind him um, but you know as you say maybe that kind of that kind of disciplinarian uh driven genius if that's you know not too strong a word is what we need at the moment even if it might blow up at some point because the kind of nice guy mates with the players lovely fluffy thing clearly hasn't worked
1: no it it really hasn't and not being funny, I don't think uh that's the kind of thing we're looking for. But um I, I was reading today Barney Rone in the in The Guardian, um, and he had a really great uh quote from Thomas Tuchel um who said um, according to the Thomas Tuchel playbook, managing a football team is Something you need to learn and understand, not a thing you do because there's nothing else left or because it seems like the logical next step after 400 professional managers, Mm. 400 professional matches. Mm. Um, Which is quite ironic considering he's um, now stepping in after Frank. Um, But he does consider this a vocation. It's a job. It's something he will do. And he will probably do it, I think, pretty well. I, th- I think we need somebody to, to step in and take charge of these players. I, th- I think he's an obsessive.
0: I think he's an obsessive. Yeah. And and, and you, I think you kind of sometimes need that. I mean, I, I read a, a nice line from him today. He said, my philosophy is an aesthetic one. Aesthetic means control the ball, the rhythm, to attack in every minute and to try and score as many goals as possible. He seems to have a very clear philosophy and I go back to what I said about Frank I don't think Frank did and I think that's down to inexperience and 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 just not having the maturity as a football manager to have that yet. He might spend some time to develop it. You know uh, Tuchel is is a, is a lot more advanced in his managerial career and has been able to work with three or four different teams to create something that he feels is core to his beliefs and I think that, that that's a good thing. What one thing really worries me is the fan base's reaction to Tuchel whether he's just going to be derided because he's not Frank Lampard and I you know I just can't bear another season of people just standing with their arms folded f- willing him to fail because he's not Frank Lampard. I really hope we get behind the new manager and you know and 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 accept that you know football is is an evolution and we move on and you know that doesn't detract or or, or is disloyal to Frank Lampard at all. It just means that the club the football club is bigger than everybody it's bigger than me it's bigger than you it's bigger than Frank Lampard and you know we move on the football club's going to be there when you and me have gone Kerry you know it's always been there you know for us and it'll be there and it'll be gone when we're gone and we just have to support the football club you know even though we can strongly disagree with some of the decision making of the you know the current owners i think ultimately we su- we support that badge we don't support individuals
1: I- I couldn't agree with you more. And, um, you know, the truth is irrespective of what's happened with Frank, I'm actually quite excited about Tuchel. Um, you know, he's considered one of the potential great up and coming tacticians in football. He's had a, a, an interesting time at PSG, took him to the champions league final, won about 18 cups in France in one year or whatever. Um, you know, he, he does have a track record, they say that he had a few problems with some of the bigger names at PSG. I don't think we've got those huge names like an Mbappe at Chelsea. So We, I don't, think it'd be we right. don't
0: have that level of ego. I mean, that's another no. good thing that we haven't spoken about, which is Lampard's inst- instilling a team ethic and not a, not an individual ethic within the team. You know, that there is no... I can't see any real egos in that team that concern me. There's nobody in there that you think is going to kick off in the dressing room because they they're playing for themselves. Everybody seems to want to play as part of a team. The f- the failure if we can call it that is not being able to to make that happen. But, you know, in terms of the personnel, I think he's got a fairly blank canvas to work with.
1: Yeah, I I agree and, you know, I mean supp- supposedly he's going to be in for the for the Wolves game um on wednesday tomorrow so
0: i mean the one person i am concerned about is tiago Silva, because clearly he worked with him at psg and left so you know that that might be tricky so we'll we'll, we'll, we'll see
1: no apparently they had a very good relationship
0: okay that's good. I so, mean, it's always weird when, you know, when you leave a club and then the manager that you've just left comes and joins your new club, you know. But they,
1: they tried to sign him back for another year, didn't they, after right. the, the Champions League final. And he went, well, no, I've made my decision.
0: Okay. so well, that's a good thing. That's a positive.
1: Yeah, I, I think they'll get on. Um, what is interesting is that in his time at PSG, two players he tried to sign were Jorginho and Rudiger.
0: Right. Yeah that's interesting isn't it I mean you know sometimes players get a new lease of life Under new managers Sometimes new managers bring in systems that that play to their advantages And play to their strengths Sometimes you know players that haven't been performing And I'm looking at you Werner And you Havertz You know can sometimes feel a little bit more refreshed and, and comfortable playing for a new manager because they feel like it's a chance to draw a line and start again so all of those things could be a positive positive. and I just think judge the guy on what he does how he conducts himself how he works with the players and 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 let's be honest results Let, let's judge him yeah. on that and, and and not carry over any I'm not going to like him because he's not Frank Lampard that would be depressing
1: Look, the one thing he isn't is Rafa Benitez. So, you know, it's... I mean, I hope he does.
0: I I mean, I think one one thing that the players do, uh, that the fan base do like, and again, I'm not talking on behalf of the whole fan base. I wouldn't presume to do that. But I think one thing we like as football fans generally is a manager to engage with us and to engage with our emotion. And that's one thing that Conte did very successfully, particularly in season one, where he was very much felt part of the fabric of the emotion of the of the fans and the, the one thing that slightly concerns me about Tuchel is he doesn't strike me as being a very emotional man you know in in that sense and I think that you know he, if, if he's smart he'll make an effort to engage with the fan base and you know praise the former manager but you know but but try and you know create his own relationship with us
1: well he's interesting I've watched quite a bit of um uh clips about him and at the big moments with the big goals, he celebrates. He goes. He's another one who goes a little bit nuts, a bit like Klopp, funnily enough. Um, so I think you'll see passion, but when you see it, it'll be at the right moment. You'll yeah, well, know good. it means something. I'll take something. that. I'll take yeah, that. exactly. So I, I, I'm just really. I, I also think there's something you said earlier about hoping that the fans take to him. That's also why, without fans in the ground. This may be the perfect moment to blood somebody. Mm. We can't get a toxic atmosphere in the ground because of what's happened to Frank. There's, there's a lot a to while. be said for that. Yeah. There's a lot to
0: be said for that because I think Benitez really suffered from that, Um, and and to a degree, you know, Sarri in 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 the latter time at the club did, you know, when people turned against him. And and you know, we do have a habit of doing that with our managers, which is to be intolerant. You know, to either love them or hate them. It's very binary with us. You know, we don't we don't have any kind of middle ground. It's either we love the manager or we hate the manager. And you know, we should get away from that. Just give the guy a chance. You know, give the guy a chance. He's inheriting a team that is low on confidence, um, that that isn't winning, that doesn't have a winning mentality that feels a bit disjointed. He's got work to do. Let's give him a chance to do some of that work uh, and then judge him and judge him on results and judge him on performance, but let's not just lay into him straight away, which is my fear.
1: Yeah. Well, for me, I'm behind him. He's now the Chelsea manager. Me oh, too. Hopefully will be. You know, come on, you know, I'm a, it is uh, you know, the king is dead, long live the king. Yeah. Um so you, we'll see. I think it's going to be fascinating to see what team he picks. I mean, he knows Pulisic from his time at, time at, um, uh, at Dortmund. Dortmund. Yeah. So you, th- there's a lot that's going to be exciting straight away. You know, suddenly he will be picking a side. I believe he'll be in the dugout tomorrow because um, I think you can come over... And you can go to work and you can go to training. So you can go to games, go to training, and then isolate the rest of the time, apparently. So... Yeah, and we'll I think see. I
0: think as well, what team he brings with him is going to be very important because one of my criticisms of of the Frank Lampard um, sort of period was I didn't ever really rate his backroom team. I didn't really rate Jody Morris. I didn't really rate any of the people that were working around him, as, you know, as adding much value to it. Now I know that's really harsh, and I'm not basing that on any kind of evidence or fact. It's just the feeling that um, I don't think he he had a really supportive. And and experienced team around him, and I, I get the sense that Tuchel has got that, and he will bring in different training methods, bring in different ways of approaching, you know, other aspects of the players' professional lives. So you know, I think I think that could make a difference off the pitch as well by bringing in a new way of thinking in a new regime that sometimes clears heads and and allows players to to adopt a different mindset.
1: Uh, One thing I'd say about Jody was, of course, he was in charge of a lot of those younger players at the academy and he brought them through. Yeah, maybe not, you know, uh, maybe Frank needed an experienced man alongside, you know, although it did. Yeah, seem I've, a little I've, bit. I've always said that, you know. Yeah, you know, that. it did seem ridiculous when Avram Grant's name suddenly got bandied about. But um, you know, and if you, you look know.
0: at if you look at you know, Mourinho always had Steve Clark, or he, you know, he had he had those people around him. Ray Wilkins, you know, that, those people around him that could offer a certain amount of experience, plus a, a link to the players and and all that kind of stuff. He's very smart by putting people around him that he felt could allow him to play to his strengths. You know, uh, you know. So I just I never. That was in place for Frank But I'm, I may be wrong But I never felt it uh, And I hope that too Who comes with a You know A solid Experienced Embedded team That can You know Bring a new philosophy And a new way of thinking To the You know To the players
1: Well you know It'd be very interesting To see who stays And who goes At the Chelsea Backroom staff And um, you know Whether he comes in With a big broom And gets rid of everybody It's it, You know Okay look The the sadness about yesterday Is sort of gone to a greater or lesser extent now, because we've got a match tomorrow. So we've got to start thinking about that. We've got to get ready for that. So I'm going to be fascinated to see his first team, whether that is tomorrow against Wolves um, or whether it's against Burnley at the weekend. Um, I would like to see uh, the youngsters that we know who are coming through still be in the team. Um, And I'd like to see... There is some tactical nels and tactical identity that That's what I want
0: to see. I'm not particularly concerned about the personnel. The personnel is the personnel. Whoever he chooses, that's who he chooses. I want to see what the strategy is, what the thinking is, what the pre-planning is, you know, to to do that. Some of the stuff that I never felt Frank really had a full grasp of, I want to see some of that stuff, and then I'll judge him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We want to see... Plans being made for a team to play a certain way, a certain style that we get used to week in week out, yeah, and not just a rehash of what we've had over the last three or four years, yeah, so yeah we, we will see all right, well look it's um you know let we've got to do our prediction time, so
0: no, I do you know. I, I I actually think this week it's impossible to do predictions because what we're basing it on we're not basing it on you know a manager that we know and a formation that we know it could be completely different i mean i i I honestly don't think we can do it this week
1: well we could say that actually often you see a reaction just to having a new manager okay we'll win both games okay that's that's what i will say
0: (laughs) uh, look new manager bounce for game one you know, players wanting to impress, players wanting to you know to be part of the plans. Players, players feeling, you know, that they have something to prove. Uh, so, so a new manager bounce for game one, um, and then you know, who knows against Burnley? They're they're not a great team. You know, they they can they can cause you issues. Um, they're pretty strong defensively, but we probably should have enough. So, I think we'll win both games. But I can't give you a scoreline.
1: No, no. Well, that's that's fair enough. You know, and uh, it's weird, isn't it, to think. That he's going to start, and in ten days' time, he will be playing Tottenham away. Yeah, and that will be his third game. Baptism in of charge. fire. Baptism. It really of fire. is. Yeah. It really is. So yeah, in a strange way. And look,
0: and if he beat, if he, if we smash Tottenham, you know, with this revolutionary new <laughs> thing, then he's a legend immediately. You know, so yeah. you know, then then he then he gets a lot of brownie points. You know, so it, you know, it's yeah. Who knows? It could be interesting couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. All right, Andy. Well, look, that that's uh, brought us up to time for this week. Um, if people want to get in touch with us, how can they do so?
0: Yeah, they can follow us on, on uh, Twitter, following at Chelsea Podcast. You can follow me on Mr. A Saunders. You can follow Kerry on at Kerry Levy, C-E-R-I-L-E-V-Y. On Instagram, it's at the Chelsea Podcast and Kerry Levy 1 and I am 1 true Saunders. That's the best way to get in touch with us.
1: All right. Well, look, everyone out there, we are moving into a new phase of life as we so regularly do. Um, take it easy. Let's hope that we see some wonderful results in the next 10 days, and we'll see you all next week. This is a Playback
0: Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at
1: chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.